I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me. Amen. From the century-old St. John's Lutheran Church of Taylor, Michigan, comes the coast-to-coast -coast edition of Martin Luther's Evening Prayer. The message from God's Word is prepared and delivered by Rev. Dr. Richard Ziley, and this local broadcast is made possible by the generosity of hearers like you. You may like us on Facebook, Martin Luther's Evening Prayer. May God bless your listening. tonight is based on the two readings that you've heard, Judges 6, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And the words of Jesus from Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These are our texts. 
In our Advent midweek services, we've been meditating on the theme, people of God living with the promise, trying to imagine what it was like for God's people under various conditions. We've discussed their lives as nomads in the era of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and as slaves in the days of Moses just prior to the Exodus. Tonight we wish to consider their lot as settlers in the land of Canaan. Now there is a sense in which Abraham's faith was a blind faith, simple trust without experience or history to rely on. God promised Abraham the land which he never really received, and a son which took 25 years or so to come about. And the faith of the children of Israel as slaves might be described as a desperate faith, born of oppression and alienation in the country where they had settled and become oppressed. But after the tribes of Israel were delivered through Moses and escaped Egypt after great acts of judgment and been preserved in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and given the land by God's grace under the leadership of Joshua, the settlers in their new land had a knowledge of how God keeps his promises. They had not only grown into a great nation, as God had promised Abraham, and escaped their captors under Moses, but they had received the land of Canaan, fulfilling the promise of, to Abraham and fulfilling their longing for a home of their own during their time of slavery and wandering. But then... Things had gone wrong. They had forgotten about the covenant that God, their Lord, had made with them. In return for the fruitful land, all they had to do was to remain faithful to their God. Yet, they didn't do it. The author of the book of Judges summarizes their history as settlers in this way. Israel promised to be faithful to the covenant and serve God only, and they prospered. But a generation or two later, they would drift into idolatry and the detestable practices of the original inhabitants. God then allows an enemy to oppress them, and they cry out to him for deliverance. God then sends a judge like Gideon, in, in the case of the Midianites, to restore their freedom. And the cycle repeats itself. This drift into idolatry and detestable practice is so characteristic of human nature. Let me explain. When your every need is met, when dangers are laid, when our bellies get full, we get bored. One of the secrets of effective classroom management, the noted Harry Wong used to point out, is keeping the kids busy. It's when they have nothing to do that they start to pester one another, make trouble, stir the pot, as we say, get jealous or mean, and create all kinds of trouble. And adults are merely grown children. The same dynamic applies, hence the saying that the idle life is the devil's playground. Consider our own history what many of us have lived through the past 75 years after the exploits of the greatest generation which endured the Depression and won World War II. America enjoyed tremendous economic growth and prosperity. 
This was the height of American church growth and affiliation, by the way. Minority rights were vindicated, and the standard of living rose across our society. More and more young Americans could go to school and college, and what happened among us? Prosperity and boredom led to drug use and abuse, particularly among the elites of our society. As technology seemed to eliminate some of the consequences of sexual behavior, the moral meaning of the sexual union and the life of what is conceived in the womb were both denied. Government stepped in to supplement what was lacking in dysfunctional families, but in too many cases supplanted those responsible for supporting their own. Many Christians, especially of the second and third generation following the greatest generation, rejected the notion of sacrificing for others and found support in the so-called therapeutic revolution, which attempted to practice healing without morals, social accountability, or any goal beyond self-satisfaction. The chaos of society is evident to anyone who follows Hollywood gossip columns and reads the fate of envied celebrities who, like Princess Diana, enjoy a fairy tale wedding followed by family breakup, a public relations honeymoon, living a glamorous life, and dying with a paramour used to driving expensive cars too fast. And this lifestyle is not new. Read Homer's great poem, The Iliad. It too glorifies the glamorous heroes with family connections to the celebrated gods. But these same heroes die on the battlefield in a war over a beauty whose unfaithfulness leads both her homeland and Paramour's country into mutual destruction. Such a life is immoral, self-indulgent, and violent, but it's not boring. And that's where the temptation lies, even for you and me. Common sense might lead you to realize that it is prudent to live as God has commanded, so that it might be well with us and we live long on the earth, but nothing is so uncommon as common sense. And this is the point that humankind is flawed and there is a seed of evil within each one of us and evil is irrational. God calls us to deny the irrational within us and live by the laws he has built into the universe. This is what makes the things that affect our minds so morally serious. The alcohol that looses our tongues so that we say things better left unsaid. The drugs that loosen our grip on reality and encourage a life centered on gratification alone. The lust that creates tension in our lives and discontent that seeks an outlet in disgraceful conduct. The thrill-seeking that encourages us to drive too fast or gamble too much or take other risks just to gain attention. Why did most of us who smoke take up smoking and cut our lives short by 10 to 20 years? Well, to impress our friends, to act grown up, and achieve the acclaim that comes to those who defy common sense.
In our readings today, Judges 6 on the oppression of Midian and Matthew 11, Christ's invitation to bear his yoke, we see the choice that every person faces, serve the Lord and receive blessing, or serve the world around us with its various idols and fall into oppression. Like the fork in the road, you don't see much difference except that the path on the left seems easier because it goes downhill. Little do you know, it's where the mosquitoes, vipers, and quicksands are. The uphill road leads to sun, clean water, noble views, and the sense of achievement. When you come to that fork, let the promise of God guide you. For Jesus has promised that his burden is easier than it appears. That is because God will help you. He has promised that those who take up the cross and follow Jesus will receive more, much more than they leave behind. I've met so many people who wish to be free of what they rushed into, who crave the earthly peace they had forfeit because of embracing a sin with lasting consequences. Some of these turned to God seeking that which they had lost. And God in many cases says no. But Christ teaches us to put our hopes not on the things that pass away, and especially not on the things that have already passed away, but on that which brings lasting, everlasting peace. So I urge you, my fellow believers, my fellow people of God, to set your hopes, like that faithful remnant of Israel, on the advent of Christ. He came to deliver us, not from high taxes and social exploitation, but from the consequences of our sin, which are death and damnation. And he leads us in a life devoted to peace, peace with God and with others. Now what does this look like? If you have a dispute with your neighbor, it may be more exciting to confront him and have it out, but it probably gives cause for future conflict and lack of peace. Better, says a seasoned follower of Christ like St. Paul, to forgive, let go, and let God. Do it for Jesus' sake who has forgiven you so much and learn from the experience to consider others so as not to injure or offend them as you have so often been injured or offended. That is the power of God at work in you when you believe the promise of God and let it guide you each time you come to that fork in the road so that you take the high road. You may suffer for doing right, but that is treasure in heaven. More often than not, God blesses your present life as you promote peace and wholeness among others. After God delivered the Israelite settlers from the Midianites through Gideon, they were able to work their farms and prosper, but only as long as they kept the promises of God to be his people and he, their only God. You and I are called to live as God's holy people 
Through Christ He has forgiven our past sins. Through the promised Holy Spirit He guides and empowers us for holy living, a life worthy of salvation that reflects our God and Savior. May His promise be with us as we bear His easy yoke which keeps us from allowing the sin of evil from deceiving us into mistaking good or evil or evil for good. Instead, may we live lives devoted to peace. Amen. And may that peace of God that surpasses understanding keep your hearts and minds in this true faith to life everlasting.
This is Dr. Richard Ziley, the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church and speaker on Martin Luther's Evening Prayer. The purpose of Martin Luther's Evening Prayer is to give you a taste of God's message, His Word, and that you will desire more of it. For most of us, it is an acquired taste, like an exercise regimen, a 12-step program, or even learning to read. Most of us need guidance from an experienced leader and support from others who share our goals. You can join with others who hear God's Word and respond to it at a confessional Lutheran church like St. John's Lutheran in Taylor, where I serve. Contact me on Facebook, Martin Luther's Evening Prayer, and I will be glad to help you find a Christian community in our fellowship. You are welcome to call me at 313-802-1146. But because I don't answer the phone when I am praying or driving, please leave your name and number, and I will be happy to get back to you. That's 313-802-1146. Or contact us on Facebook, Martin Luther's Evening Prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. Then go to sleep at once and in good cheer.